Hello and welcome to a live episode of Deprogrammed. It's Thursday night, so this is going to be one of my interviews and we're going to get to do this one live. It's very exciting. If it's your first time here, I will say uh, please consider hitting like and subscribe. We are almost at 10,000 on this new channel, which is very exciting. It's only been a couple months that we've been around and I'm so happy, so grateful for those of you who uh, like what we're putting out and have feedback and uh, and if you like the video, hit like, that helps the, the algorithm. I uh, won't leave my guests waiting any longer. I'm so excited tonight. I get to speak with comedian Lila Hart. I had the pleasure, My uh, Anthony and I were uh, traveling in Texas it was a few months ago now. I'm bad with time. And had the pleasure of getting to meet her. And uh, I'll just tell you, it's not often that the first time you're meeting someone, they're like, just come to my house. I'll cook you dinner. And so... Welcome, Lila. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it was so wonderful to have you and your husband over for dinner. Let me turn up your microphone just a little. Oh, there we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's much better. Okay, cool. Yeah, and your husband makes uh, what was it, lasagna? I think he made. He, I think he made chicken parmesan. Oh, chicken parmesan. Yes, it was delicious. So thank you. <laughs> it was just so lovely. That was uh, February 17th when you guys came over because I remember we uh, we recently got married on 2-22-22 at 2 p.m. on Tuesday at the Dallas Courthouse with our two witnesses, my dad and my nephew. It was really special. So, and then are, you into, are you into numbers? Like, I, yeah, I'm really into it. I mean, I just, you know what? I feel like I take a mix of everything, you know? I, I feel like God is always giving me signs and uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's really like the numbers. Yeah, my husband really the date that we got married, there was uh, some some meaning there for him as well with the numbers. So I, th I thought that was interesting that you meant you mentioned it that night too. I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know who you are, just tell them a little bit about first of all, where can they find you online, and what it is that you do. Well, I'm a stand-up comedian, and you guys can find me online at lilahart.com, and that's where all my Socials are under are under Love Lila Hart or just Lila Hart, but uh, I'm a stand-up comedian. Originally, I am from Washington State, but I moved to Los Angeles after I graduated from um, Washington State University in 2013. You know, my degrees in broadcast productions with a minor in political science, but I moved down to LA and I got into comedy. That was not the original plan. But it's it's what I've been doing for the last uh, six years. I think there's a lot of people who just comedy is one of those things a lot of people fall into. <laughs> They're like, that wasn't the plan. And yet this is what spoke to me. So you when did you get into comedy? Because it, it, you're relatively new to doing stand up. Mm -hmm. I feel like we had just had just missed each other, too. Because I started comedy in 2016. I think that's when you had moved to Texas. I had just so moved to Texas. We had just missed each other. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. You know, I originally I wanted to be a broadcaster because sitting here at a, at a news desk, no one would yeah. be able to notice that I'm actually four foot six. I have a disability called spina bifida and I walk with a limp, you know? So I always thought if I could just be a broadcaster, then no one would ever know about that. And, <laughs> you know, I could moved to LA and I like, that's what I wanted to do. But once I started um, to kind of get into the job network and I was applying for different things, you know, uh, people would see my resume, they see my headshot and they'd invite me in. And I felt like I was getting discriminated against because of my height. 
So I had this epiphany one day. I was in the shower and it just hit me. I was like, you know what, Lila? If you become a stand-up comedian, people will, you know, they'll 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 make a role for you in a show, you know, and that is the way that you can go on stage, you can explain this, and then people can respect you. And it was, I remember it was February 10th, 2016. It was my first open mic I went to uh, was at Flappers in Burbank. And oh, I, I did Flappers? Yeah. I dressed up in this gold dress. Like I was like, you know, like it, I was like some sort of uh, movie star and went over there. And I remember when I got on stage and I like finally was able to talk about having my disability and having spine of it, but it was so liberating and I was completely hooked, you know, because for the longest time, I really hid away from my disability because, um, you know, my parents, uh, my dad's in the military or my dad was in the military. He served 20 years. He's retired now, but he's retired now, but he served 20 years in the military. And my mom is from the Philippines. And, uh, I, I, I grew up with this kind of like, you can do anything, Lila, your disability is not going to hold you back. And I just never really talked about disability, you know? And so going on stage was the first time that I was like, oh yeah, I have spina bifida and it was really liberating. Yeah. What is spina bifida for anyone okay, who may not for, know? Um, for those who don't know, spina bifida, uh, spina bifida is uh, like being born with a spinal cord injury. That's the simplest term that I put it in. So basically when I was born, there was a hole in my back and they had to kind of put me back together. And so I spent the first like couple years of my life in and out of the hospital. They told my parents that I'd never be able to walk. I would have learning disabilities and, you know, that it was just going to be really hard for me. And my mom, you know, I have to give her a lot of credit because she was just like, no, that's not what's going to happen. Like I'm by daughters. That's not what's going to happen. Like God's going to make a miracle or just, you know, and I, my parents never treated me different. My sisters never treated me different. It wasn't really until I started going to school that I noticed that I was different. But even then, like I remember I was in the fourth grade and I was so much smaller than my peers, right? I remember the first graders would walk in. I'm the same height as the first graders. So I had this brilliant idea. I was like, you know what? I'm going to run for ASB president. If I become president of this school, then the kids will have to respect me and they won't just like see me as like mm -hmm. small, right? So my slogan was, I may be small, but I can make a big difference. Vote Lila Hart. I love it. Yeah. So I, it's just, that's just kind of, you know, my story is that my parents really, they really instilled in me that I could do anything. And I, it wasn't until I, yeah, I went to school that I was starting to feel a little bit different. Yeah. But I always like, you know, I kind of overcame that in different ways. Like I can't, I couldn't be the most athletic but I could read a ton of books or I could, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. What is it about, do, obviously adversity lends itself to comedy. Mm -hmm. What is it about your experiences in childhood? Like once you got to school and you're realizing, okay, I'm different. What is it about that that lends itself to humor? Do you think? I think, you know, I had this moment recently. I had this girl over at my house and she, um, she is 18. I'm 30. And she told me that the first time she had seen me on stage doing stand-up and I talked about some of um, my disability, how it had impacted her because she had her own body issues. And it made me kind of realize that everything that I had gone through, like I was, I wouldn't say that I was technically like, it, I wasn't like bullied, but I felt so different. It was mm -hmm. like, I could talk about 
all these painful things that ha- I had gone through. And then on the stand-up stage, it was like I could find the humor in it. I could find the lesson in it. And I could help other people be okay with their own body issues or their own kind of feeling different, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like that... Uh universal sort of human experience, even though you're talking about something that's specific to you, but it's, it's like with a beautiful song or a poem or something where you can, everybody can relate to that and, and, and put their own story into it and see parts of themselves in it. I think it helps you relate to each other better, especially yeah. when you're being so open about, you know, what you've gone through, what your life has been like. Um, I have to ask you though, do you get tired of, when I was thinking of a title for this episode, I'm so used cause I worked in comedy and I actually worked with, uh, Selene Luna, who's a, a little yeah. person, comedian, burlesque, and the, so much of the marketing is built around, uh, having a joke with that, you know, like you have a show called, uh, small talk. Yeah. And I almost, I was going to do an art that's like, you know, something with little in it or small. And then I was like, no, <laughs> I bet she's tired of that. <laughs> like, you know, do you get tired of that? It's really interesting, Carrie. I feel like I've gone through this journey. Like I've gone through um, an interesting journey where, okay, I was so against uh, the word disabled, right? I, I, I didn't want to say disabled. I didn't want to say spina bifida. And then go, and then I kind of like, talk about that in my standup and it really helps me heal a lot. But now I'm at this point in my life where it's like my dis it's like I healed such a big part of me, you know? So my, my standup is kind of evolving into uh, it's just evolving. And it's a really beautiful thing because um, like, for example, uh, I didn't meet any other like person with spina bifida until I was 21. And I went to the first event I went to was an event called Life Rolls On. And uh, that was the first time I had seen children with my disability. And when I saw kids with my disability and they weren't able to walk and they were in wheelchairs, it really like hit me like, you know, Lila, you you should never feel insecure about your legs anymore. You know, you should never because my legs are little, they're skinny and I walk with limp and I was like, I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm not going to be insecure about this. And I, I can be a role model to help these children kind of be like, you do you can still accomplish so much in your, in your life. Like it's not your disability isn't going to hold you back Mm -hmm. if you don't let it, you know? Did you have ever have a moment in your life where I think because on, on deprogrammed, we talk a lot about my old ideology, social justice, and trying to understand woke and what woke is since it's become so mainstream now. And I think a lot of woke tells people um, there's like a good kernel of truth there. There's some, it starts with something good and then it, there's all this bad packaging wrapped around it. One of the things it does, it goes beyond saying, take whatever it is about you that might make you different. Um, and embrace it. It goes beyond that to the point of saying, and make it your identity and look at it as a victimization. You know, you're an oppressed person. You're in this oppressed group. And I think it really locks people into this victim mentality. Did you ever have a moment where you used to look at it like that? Or have you always sort of been like, well, it's just part of who I am. 
here's what's funny, Carrie. I really felt like the children inspired me. But the first time I went to like a, a disability conference and I met some adults, there was a moment where I remember walking in and seeing women in wheelchairs and feeling like they didn't like me or something, you know, because I could walk. Mm -hmm. And I remember like crying in the corner with my friend who also has kind of this stuff. And she was in a wheelchair. And I'm like crying because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm, a, I'm like disabled enough to be part of like this disabled oh. group. And I'm like crying like, oh my gosh, like I wish I was in a, like, oh my, now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm feeling like I wish I was in a wheelchair so I could like connect with these people, you know? And uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing for me. So uh, let me just take you back to when I was in college, when I went to Washington State University, all I wanted to do was be part of a sorority. You know, like a, a sorority. Did you ever mm -hmm. do sorority rushing? I, I didn't because I was in the I was in the rebel. I was in the women's studies feminist dorm. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't trying to get into no sorority. But I know I don't judge it anymore. I used to be one of those kind of go against the flow, right? Anyway, okay. So you wanted to be in a sorority. I wanted to be in a sorority so bad, Carrie. And uh, I remember I rushed uh, my freshman year at Washington State University. And I became friends with this girl named Heaven Snow. We were both like rushing together. And every day, you know, you get told like um, how many houses want you back. And every day, my numbers got littler and littler till the end of the week where I realized none of the houses wanted me. And um, my best friend at the time was Heaven because we'd become really close. And she got like the top pick, any of the house. You know, she was beautiful, blonde, just what the ideal sorority girl. And I remember she was like, you know what, if they're not going to want you, I'm not going to do this at all either. So we walked off the field together and there was like 500 girls on the field and we walked off together. And I remember like looking back at the, at the girls and being with my friend and being like, wow, this is so awesome that my friend could have any choice of sorority, yeah. but she's choosing to like stand by me and to walk off with, you know, with me. Now, here's where it gets kind of funny is uh, three years or four years later, um, after I had graduated. Oh, no. So my senior year, this girl had come up to me at a party and she told me, oh, yeah, Lila, I feel so guilty. Um, I have to tell you this. The only reason we didn't want you is because we didn't want to be known as a house with a crippled girl. So that's why none of the houses picked you. I have to tell you this. <laughs> I know it's like, yeah. it's so funny. It's like, it's, it's, um, anyways. Uh, and I remember feeling like, you know, here I am. I, I, I have all these, like, I've done so great in high school. I, I've, you know, I was a parade princess. I had a, a 4.0 GPA. I like, I'm the perfect candidate, but because I'm smaller and I walk with a limp, you guys don't want me. Now here's where it gets really funny. Couple years later, after I graduated, I remember I'm at my first job that I had, and I, I go online, and there was a Good Morning America uh, article, like a thing where this a sorority house was being celebrated because they had a girl with Down, they let a girl with Down syndrome in their house, and it was being mm -hmm. celebrated, you know. And I was, it was like a weird moment for me. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it yes. was like weird because thinking like. Okay, that's a little like my experience was I I I was too crippled. Now we're in this place where we're being we're celebrating people for allowing yes. somebody into their sorority. And then yes. I'm like, okay, so let me like explore 
being disabled. Let me like go into this group, right? And then I feel like I'm not disabled enough. So then I start to make friends with people um, in the little people community because this is what's interesting too in LA. I In college, I always thought I was like the smallest person. Then you move to LA and like I have best friends who are, my best friend is like, she's three foot two. Her name's Sassy mm-hmm. Cassie. She's the world's smallest stripper. Anyways, she's awesome. Wait, what's her name? Sassy Cassie. You got friends named Heaven Snow and Sassy Cassie. <laughs> it's like it's like a movie. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I and I, I've met all these uh, little people, and it was awesome. And I I went to LPA Little People of America in San Francisco, and I remember walking in there, and this girl comes up to me, and she's like, "Well, what kind of dwarf are you?" And I was like. Well, I don't have dwarfism. I have spina bifida. She's like, well, then you're not really a dwarf. And I'm like, we are looking eye to eye right now. So I think I belong here. You know? (laughs) So in a lot of ways, it's just kind of made me laugh where it's like, I didn't even feel like I was, I I could be like an SJW advocate because I was like, I couldn't, there's, there's so much to me and I, and I, and I wasn't disabled enough. I wasn't short enough. You know what I'm saying? So that, that really yeah. messed with my head because I'm like, wait a second. I've been been called a midget and I've been made fun of, but now I'm not small enough. And then I remember there was a time too, uh, my first year doing stand-up, I got on Little Woman LA. Have you seen the show? Oh, Are yes. Yeah. Okay, I, so, um, I was invited to do stand-up for the Little Women. And I remember being so excited, Carrie. But I knew that, you know, some of my jokes talked about being little and um, I used, I said midget in my set. I remember before I went out to perform in front of the girls, I remember thinking like, Lila, are you really going to, are you going to, are you going to say these jokes in front of these girls? And I was like, hell yeah, because I believe in these jokes, you know, these are my, this is my experience. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm, I'm talking about my own experience. And if you take offense, it, you know, that's on you. Anyways, after the show, I met the ladies and I was super excited and they just went in on me for using the M word and saying midget mm-hmm. and how I shouldn't have been saying that in my stand up. And, uh, you know, I remember getting really emotional because I was like, I'm not doing it to make fun of you. This was a word that used to hurt me and I'm saying it now to take my ownership back from it. And this is a way for me to heal through art of standup. You know, so that was like disappointing, but also it kind of made me realize like, you know, it pushed me to write even further and to even expand my standup. So I am very grateful for the girls. I'm very grateful that we were able to have that conversation on national television that way. And I'm also really grateful that I did not back down and I didn't apologize for the joke. Me too. That's strength of character right there. And what they're trying to do with that, I mean, it's the same with any of these words that are bad words, right? It's weird. It's it's counterintuitive. It's like they try to preserve uh, that word as a weapon. They don't want it to be used for anything because they want it to be in this tool shed of just like, that is always a weapon. but yeah, that's I mean, not true. I, like, I'm not offended by the word anymore because I call myself the bad right. midget. Okay. Like, and it, it, it doesn't have any power over me. I remember 
when I was in college, I was with my group of girlfriends and this guy like shouting, he's like, oh, there's a midget over there. And I just remember feeling so small and so like, my friends were so upset that he had said that, you know? And then for me to years later be on stage and call myself the baddest midget bitch and take ownership of it, it was like, it was healing for that yeah. version of me in college who was in so much pain over those kind of words. Yeah. I, for a second, I pictured you when he yells, there's a midget over there, you being like, where? And running. <laughs> Just messing with him. <laughs> um, I love I love that you can laugh at it. And it doesn't have that power over you. Uh, do you know, you probably know uh, Gino Bisconti, the comedian. Mm -hmm. uh, I just talked to him recently and he was talking about words and how words are tools and it depends on how you use a tool, if it's a weapon or not, or if you're taking the power out of it kind of thing. And oh. you're deflating that word as having any power over you when you use it in that way. And so mm -hmm. I, th I think that's amazing. Um, so you were saying that the social justice stuff, you started to get some, uh, inkling of what it was, I guess, in these groups where there was this hierarchy of who was more oppressed or who was more little yes. or what have yes. you. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it was, that was where I, that was such a moment for me because my same friend who um, I was crying about being able to walk, like how I had wished that I was in a, like, was in a wheelchair at that moment, right? What was funny is that years later, I saw a YouTube, uh, like a, a video of her and she was walking and I realized like, oh, like she can actually walk too, but sometimes she uses the wheelchair. So I was like, maybe she felt like more the kind of the same way I was feeling like, oh, I should be in the wheelchair because then it's like people know what this is, right? Mm -hmm. It's like with my disability, sometimes I walk into a room and people don't like, sometimes they can't tell or they don't really. And again, I don't want to, I don't want people to see me as disabled, but I also can understand why like. Some people would feel like, oh, I, I should be in the wheelchair because it's more than people would know. Right. It's 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 very interesting, isn't it? I think this probably only happens in in a belief system where it's they, like oppression like, Olympics. Yes, oppression Olympics, where you get more points, you get more standing to speak or to have an opinion or to be valued. Uh, the more of the oppression boxes you can check off, and so I, I think that's kind of. Again, I think that's unhealthy for your 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 psyche because it it gives you an incentive to stay and if, like instead of being grateful for the blessing that your parents were told that you were never going to walk and then you had all these surgeries and a miracle and and you can walk and it it if you're in that situation it kind of if you're in that belief system it sets you up where you're almost like not looking at your blessings as blessings and this happens with other types of identity groups too where I think uh, for example social justice is now expanded where they're calling any type of mental health issue that that that's a that's an oppression point right there you're oppressed you're in an oppressed group which that's an incentive for people to not get better it's like well well i guess i'll just stay in this because now i get to put it in my profile right like that's my identity i'm depressed right and um i think that's really unique to that kind of ideology so you uh you were never then you were never someone who was like preaching woke stuff i i feel like yes and no to an extent you know like i it's like i i just wanted to like with my show small talk you know we 
I loved it so much because I had such a variety of different type of people on the show. And I wanted to showcase different types of talent with people from all different types of background, including disability and race and whatnot. But I just want people to not be victims and to, you know, that if you have a dream, you can, you can accomplish anything. You know, if you believe in yourself, you can, you can make your dreams a reality as long as you are willing to put in the work, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and I wanted it doing standup for me. It's like, the way I see my disability, it's like, it's, it's a part of me, but it's not all of me, you know, and I want to inspire other people who are disabled that it's a part of you, but it's not all of you. Yeah. It's not who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when we first started talking uh, about the comedy world and about your move, because you also moved from California to Texas. Yes. Do you want to tell me what prompted some of that? And I know there's a cancellation kind of attempt in here. There's a, there's a story that relates to COVID. So why don't you tell that story as as it unfolds naturally? So um, in, in August, I... Gosh, there's just so much. I don't even know where to start. Um, I will just say this. When the pandemic like first hit in 2020, I I felt like like right before it hit, like my like my show was taking off and I had all these friends and like everything was going great as as it was for a lot of people. Right? In LA, it was like starting on that upward trajectory. Yes, in LA, it was on that upward trajectory. But then as, you know, the mandates came in with the masks and stuff, I just like, I was starting to wake up to more things because what happened to me was I remember um, going to Costco and being the only person in Costco wearing a mask when this first came out, like in, in March, right. Of 2020, I was the only person wearing an N95 mask in Costco. And I thought that was like really strange. And then I remember like when everybody was wearing it, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like something in my spirit just told me that something was like off, but I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable to discuss that with my friends because, you know, there's that stigma. There's that, um, I would wear my mask around my, like my liberal friends and I wouldn't say anything. I would self-center. But when I was with my uh, husband, who was my fiance at the time, um, I wouldn't wear the mask. So I kind Mm -hmm. of felt like, I kind of felt like I was like living this like double life and and it was starting to feel really like suffocating that I couldn't really say how I felt about certain things, you know? And um, as a comedian, you know, I'm supposed to be like speaking this truth and I am going to get punished for speaking this truth, right? So my breaking point was um, in July, I... I was at a Starbucks with my friend and around this friend, normally I would wear my mask and we were in a, we were in Starbucks and uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I took off my mask and I ordered my drink and the lady, she accepted my drink order. And my friend was like, kind of like looking at me and I was like, it's, it'll be fine. I'll be fine. And she, um, the, the lady was starting to make the drink. And then, um, she looks at me and she's like, hey, can you put on your mask? And I was like, no, just can you make the drink? And she was like, you need to put on your mask. And I was like, would you rather me get my money back in, in, instead of you making the drink? She's like, yeah, you can get your money back. So I don't have a mask on. I'm going back to the counter. 
getting same the amount of time, by the way, for you to yeah. stand there and get your money back or just get the drink. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm standing there and this guy, he's like a six foot tall guy. This man comes up and he's not wearing a mask. And as the lady is giving me my money back, this guy is ordering a drink, also maskless. So I'm like, I look at her and I'm, I'm like, okay, so you're going to allow this man to order a drink maskless, but you're making me return the money because I'm not wearing a mask. And I, I'm talking loud at this point because people are watching. And uh, I look at the guy. Oh, she looks at the man and she's like, can you uh, put your mask on, sir? And he puts the mask on. And I look at him and I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. And then I just kind of broke out into this speech and I'm like, how long are we going to do this? I'm not going to wear these masks anymore. They don't work. Then this guy with two masks on, two double masks, oh. comes, up guy, comes up to me and he's like, you're the reason that we're in this. You're, and I hope that you die. And I'm just wow. like, oh my gosh. Then another man comes by who's also wearing a mask and he's like, you know, I run a business and, you know, we have to follow these orders and like, we have to follow these rules. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And so at this point, my friend is like in complete shock. She's in complete shock. She's like, what is going on? What is happening to you, Lila? Like, where is this coming from? And, you know, we go, we, we go back to her place and I tell her, I was like, I can't wear these masks anymore. And I'm like, and I still need to get my coffee. So either you stay <laughs> here or we're going to go to another place. I'm going to go in their mask list and I'm going to order my coffee. And she's like, okay. And I go into the other place and I don't have a mask on and I ordered um, my coffee. But that was like my first moment where I kind of felt like there was uh, there there was like this uh, kind of shift in our friendship a little bit. Uh, it was right there about, you know, right there. it was like, I just said the one thing about the mask. Then I had. Um, By the way, what a great moment. And you're a great storyteller because I can visualize I'm in that coffee shop with you and I'm like. This is the climax where you're, it's like you get to that point. I know that point you're talking about where you're like, I can't participate in this anymore. It's I can't destructive to my soul. Yeah, <laughs> I don't feel good doing it. Killing my soul. So um, in August, August 29th, I, 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 was, I had been invited to perform at the Ford Amphitheater in Los Angeles uh, for this giant show. And it was going to be in front of like 800 people. And I was one of three comedian acts. There were 10 other acts uh, with like musicians and performers, whatnot. Anyways, uh, I was the only un unmet person, you know. Unjabbed. No. Yeah. Person. Yeah. And uh, they made me take uh, one of those test things. And it was the first time I had done that. But I really wanted to do the show because I. Uh, you know, it, it was, I hadn't been on stage in so long and it was, it was a, it was going to be a huge show and my parents were flying out for it. My sisters were flying out for it. And so I was, cause I didn't want to take one of those tests, but I was like, this is the one exception I'm going to make for the show. And then I, uh, I had to tell them that I couldn't get this thing because I, you know, I was medically, um, exempt. Right. Mm -hmm. And Here's what's funny, Carrie, and this is kind of what makes me sad too, is like, I, I like told all my friends that like, you know, I, I have this medical exemption, which I do. But the truth was, even more than the medical exemption, like I didn't want to take it. I didn't trust it from the start. And you should not have to. And it breaks my heart because it's like, 
you know, you can't even, you're, you're not even allowed to say like what it's actually like doing to people, you know? And like, I have friends whose parents have taken it and have gotten heart attacks and died because of it. And I, anyway, sorry, it just makes me emotional. No, you're okay. And, and I know you take a second to go, because look, doing a show here, this video is probably going to come down now, uh, later. That's okay. That's okay. I love that you're being honest and truthful because we've all gotten so used to um, on YouTube knowing what things we can and can't talk about. And then as they start to reveal more information and say, hey, guess what? This thing that we used to ban you for talking about, well, it turns out um, that might be some truth to that. So now you can talk about that, right? Like it's it's yeah. it's so frustrating and it's it's meant to gaslight us and make us feel isolated and like we can't speak and to self-censor. And so, honey, like I, I get that. And I get what you're know, saying. Sorry, that's part of what like I've been struggling with a lot is like not being able to, like as a comedian, I just want to say my truth, what is true to me and being able to speak that, you know, it's like I did another show with Alex Stein and, you know, he had to take He's down the video as well because of, what I said. And it's like, wow, it's like, doesn't that suck? That yeah. sucks so bad that I can't even say what I really want to say because of the fear of it getting removed. You know, me and my husband started a show called Immune to the System. And I posted our first video on my YouTube channel. Within six hours, it was taken down. And all the video was about was our journey from leaving Los Angeles to moving to Texas. And yeah. everything that that entailed, and it was removed within six hours, wow. you know? Yeah. And how does, okay, so we'll, let's just get into it, what happened. So um, I do wait, everything. Wait, this is a good breaking point. Real quick, I'm just going to thank two people. Okay. We'll do a big thank you to Low Watermark. Thank you for hanging out and giving a $10 super chat, sir. And just says cheers. And then this one. I wanted you to see this one. Ken Lipson. Do you know Ken? He's on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ken. He says, Lila is really making me look in the mirror and realizing how awful I was or am to people. I have to pay for my sins, and I'm so glad that she's awesome. Um, Ken, thank you for being so vulnerable to even say something like that. And by the way, Ken is a brilliant artist. He, he does uh, watercolor. Maybe he'll do a watercolor of you. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Okay. That was a good breaking point. Oh, wait, one last one. Wow. I don't think I've ever gotten them. Wait, I maybe got one that big before. Jeffrey Fid Fidley gives $99 super chat and says, let them take it down. At least you can put this in the bank. That's right. <laughs> um, and, and just for anybody, if it does come down, we do, we are on, um, rumble and odyssey it just i think it goes up there like the next day or something just so you know so okay um, okay lady so okay okay you're struggling with all this hey you, you know what yeah Sir, this makes me feel good knowing that it's gonna come down now i can really just <laughs> get into it girl <laughs> rumble. so um so what happened was I, I i i uh i do everything they ask you know and i Get, I get the medical exemption, I take the PCR test, and I go perform at the show. Now, they had told the comedians, like, they want you to be completely clean. Also, by the way, I'm going to post the full 20-minute set that I did at the Ford Amphitheater later on today. So for anybody oh. watching, you guys can check that out. Um, and 
so I do the 20 minute set and they told me they're like, Lila, you have to be clean. But I was like, you know what? I was kind of already considering this, like my like leave from LA, like I'm just going to say what I want to say and I'm going to do like my best 20 minutes. So I wasn't clean at all. I just did my jokes that I wanted to and I ended up getting a standing ovation. And it was freaking incredible, Carrie. It was so awesome. It was the first time that I like the performing in front of that many people, like 800 people is like, it's like performing in front of an entity, you know, like the, the feedback that you get, the energy that energy. you get. I was on a high for three days. I couldn't sleep for three days after that performance because the, the love that I got from people, people after, I remember after I did my performance, I was trying to go find my family and I got stopped by so many people who wanted to take pictures for me with me. And I was thinking like, yes, after five years in, here in LA, like I did it. Like I'm, I finally, you know, I'm finally here. I've made it, you know? You've got meaning. You've got the the back and forth. Uh, one of the comics I used to work with, he talked about the audience and the, like a lot of people just think stand-up comedy is just the comedian. And he's like, no, it's like a tennis match. And when it's a really good game, like you need that audience to be there with you and go back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm feeling really good. And at this point, I hadn't been to the comedy store in LA in like about a year because, you know, everything, all the restrictions and stuff. And But I was feeling so great. And I was like, I just got a standing ovation at this show. I want to dress up. I'm going to go to the a comedy store. I want to see everybody. So... And, and mind you, before the pandemic, I had been go going to the comedy store in LA like every night, all the major clubs. I'm like, I felt like I was the mayor of LA. Everywhere I go, I'd always see people <laughs> and they would know me and it was awesome. So I get to the comedy store, you know, feeling like a million bucks. I just got a standing ovation in front of 800 people at the Ford Amphitheater. And I also had my negative PCR test and my medical exemption with me in my purse because I was like, if they say anything, which I doubt they will, you know, I will have my papers with me. So I had my papers, like, what the heck is that? But yeah. <laughs> I, go, I go to the comedy store and I see the door guy who I've known for many years. We've known each other for many years. And I see him and I'm like, hey, like, and he's like, Lila, um, are you vaxxed? You have the vaccination? You have your little that paper? And I was like, no, I have my medical exemption and a negative PCR test. And he's like, well, I still can't let you in, I don't think. Like, let me call a manager. So he calls one of the managers over. And this is also somebody that I've known for a very long time. I explained to him, I was like, I have my medical exemption. I just performed at the, uh, I just performed at the Ford Amphitheater a couple nights ago. And, you know, here's the paperwork. And he goes, you know, Lila, um, I'd really love to let you in, but we can't. But what I can do is I can take that paperwork. I can scan it. We can save it on file and we'll send it to our uh, lawyer, whatever, the lawyer people. And then in three days, we can let you in. First of all, I was like, I don't want you to have my medical records on file somewhere. What, that's weird. And secondly, yeah. like, this is all, like, this is, you guys, like, what? This is such a weird power trip right it's now. It's so invasive. Yeah. The, the door guys at comedy clubs are stoners anyway. I'm like, not giving you my medical. <laughs> I'm kidding. Like, but no, I'm making light of it. But yeah, that's none of your freaking business, you know? And so what? Uh, I had this, I had this, uh, I had this thought. I was with my friend. I was like, I need to record this. Like, I need to record this moment. I need to call them out and I need to like say what's happening. So I had my friend record me. And at the end of the video, um, I'm like, okay, you know what? And that's it. And I'll see you guys in Texas. And I like 
told the world and the universe that I was going to be in Texas, you know, but at this point we hadn't even really made that full decision of moving to Texas. So it's just kind of funny how it really worked out and I did end up here. And so, uh, me and my husband, we, we, uh, after I, uh, sorry, I'm getting things mixed up. Um, after that video came out, it kind of like went a little bit viral in the stand-up community. It's like a lot of people like were seeing this and it was being shared a lot. So Chrissy Mayer, you know, Chrissy, uh, she reached out to me and I was really excited that she had reached out to me because I remember seeing her tweet that she was like the first person stand-up comedian uh, that I saw. And her tweet was that she refused to perform at any comedy clubs that required you know, vaccination to enter. And I remember like really thinking how cool that was and that she, like how brave she was for, for taking that stand and like cheering her on for that, you know? And so, but I still was at the point where I was like not totally ready to come out with my feelings. And so she reached out to me and she was like, I'd love to have you on my podcast and to talk about your experience. So absolutely. I said, yes, I would love to. And I, I did her podcast and I shared what had happened. So about two weeks later, me and my fiance at the time, we decided to, okay, we're going to move to Texas, we brought all of our stuff to Texas. It, we were really like Noah's Ark because at that time I had like 300 plants, two bunnies, two hamsters, two cats, three birds. <laughs> and we brought all of that to Texas like we were fleeing. I've seen <laughs> pictures, by the way, anyone hanging out with us? Thanks for hanging out with us. I've seen pictures of Lila's garden in LA and it was beautiful. So, and you took a bunch of those plants with you. Oh yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, we took, we, we took a majority of, of them. Our, our whole U-Haul was like literally just plants. But what happened to us, Chrissy, is that when we first got, you know, we got to Texas, we thought we were going to buy this house. But once we had the home inspection done, we realized that, oh, they lied on the seller's disclosure. And so we had to back out. Okay. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? We're now we have to move into a Motel 6 for the next few weeks while we scramble to find a house. Okay. So we move into the Motel 6 with most of our animals. That's another freaking story too. But anyways, we move into the Motel 6 and uh, I get a call from Chrissy and she's like, hey, Lila, like I'm in Dallas. Do you want to perform at this, at, at Helium Comedy Club? So I go out to the comedy club, even though I'm like feeling like complete shit because of just our situation. I remember getting on stage performing and that's where I met Elijah Schaefer and Sydney Watson oh. and the whole crew from You're Here at the Blaze. So they asked me to do their show, um, You Are Here with uh, Elijah Schaefer. And that was like really where I, it was starting to come out even more like my feelings about this. And I was letting people know how I felt about the masks and the jabs. And it was very emotional for me because I knew I'm going to lose a lot of friends. I lost 6,000 Instagram followers. Wow. 6,000. And here's, here's the thing that hurt me the most about some of the things that were said to me, there were um, a couple girls that I, I had mentored like in 2020, they, uh, they have disabilities that they're, they're little people. And all of 2020, we FaceTime all the time. And they had, they had found me through my comedy and told me how inspired they were with the fact that I, I could just dress how I wanted to. And I didn't care. I, cause I call my legs, my chopstick legs, you know, but I still wear my cute boots and I still wear my cute dresses and I, I just don't care. And it, 
it really inspired these girls to, you know, wear whatever they wanted and stuff. And when they found out that I was against the mask mandates and that I was against, you know, the vaccinations, they unfollowed me and they like wrote me this horrible message just telling me about how, like, how, how could I think like this? Like how could, and it was like, nothing about me's changed. Nothing mm -hmm. about me's changed. I'm just not allowed to have this opinion. And because I have this opinion, it's like every good thing that I ever did, it's like, it doesn't even matter. Yes. All the all the things that I did, all the people that I helped doesn't even matter because now I'm this evil person who wants everybody to die because I don't believe we should all wear masks and be forced to vaccinate ourselves. Yeah. It's it's cultish behavior. It's cult behavior. And I've been through my own version of that. And and you're right. It is uh, the first time you go through it. And I'm sure many people in the chat have gone through it in some way or another of losing friends or family the past few years. Um, it's, uh, it's very disconcerting. It's, there's a kind of trauma that comes from it because like you said, you're, you're sort of, I'm still the same person you've always known, like, because I disagree with you on this policy, right? This policy position or on a very principled position about, about what the government has the right to do with individuals. And, and what the government has a right to require individuals to do because we disagree about that. Suddenly I'm evil. Like I'm bad. You can't know me. You have to publicly denounce me. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it can be very disconcerting. Carrie, that was what hurt the most is to have all these disabled women who had one at one point looked up to me so much because of what I was doing is stand up and who I know were completely inspired by my fashion or whatever, and I could see it in their posts, you know, then to have these same women who were, who looked up to me to tell me how evil I was and horrible I was and how disappointed they were in me for this one stance I had was just, that's where it, that's where it was really the most painful, I think, because it was like, here I am like trying to, I guess like stand up for people or, and then the same people that I'm trying to stand up for are now attacking me and hating me for this belief. Yeah. It's and like so in Scientology, when people leave Scientology, what do they call them? I'm forgetting the word. Uh, they have a specific word for the heretics, for the people who've left and you're not supposed to engage with them anymore. They're now bad people. And it's like that they have to, they have to distance you, make you into an other pretend they don't know who you are like who you are, like your essence, you know, um, you in that, in all the stuff that you've lost that, you, you know, whether it's relationships, uh, changing what, what state you live in, all of this, what have you gained? I always like to ask people this because I know so many people who watch my channel, who watch, uh, channels like yours, like Chrissy's, like, who ha have very legitimate fears. Like if I say something that doesn't go along with the narrative, it, then I'm going to lose lots of things. I might lose my job. I might lose my social circle. I might lose income. Um, I might have to downgrade. I might, you know, they have all these questions and, and those are legitimate fears. I completely understand those fears, but I always like to ask people who've had that fear and gone ahead anyway what did you gain? I would say I gained my family. I'm closer with my parents and my sisters than I've ever been for. And um, 
I've gained a greater relationship with God that I never had. Uh, and my relationship, I just feel like I'm in this point where I'm always going to do stand-up. I'm always writing. I know that once I eat, I, that's something that's always going to be with me, you know, but I'm at this point in my life where I think I'm, I'm more on this like spiritual path of like my connection with God, you know, and my connection with my family and realizing like what's, what is really, really important. And I'll say this, Carrie, I know for a fact, I am the sole reason why my sisters did not get the job, did not vaccinate my nephews. And I would, I would do this all over again. I would lose those 6,000 followers to save my family from getting injected. And I feel so strongly about it. Like, I really, really feel like it's killing people. It's hurting people. It's not good for people. And it drives me freaking crazy that I'm not allowed to say that. I'm not allowed to say that, you know? To have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, told me when I first met you that uh, you're – I think you were, we were talking about marriage and we were talking about your relationship with God. And I was talking a little about mine and um, did your opinions on marriage change? Like what does marriage mean to you? Marriage to me, it's like, it's my partnership. You know, it's like Eric is my best friend. He's, I feel so blessed and lucky that I met him at the time that we did because I think of like, God really works in mysterious ways. And I know that God, as long as I can stay um, in my truth and bring light to the world, that God is going to take care of the rest, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like my husband was truly like a gift because I started like, I started waking up to a lot of things in 2017. I know you're a fan of Jordan Peterson. I love Jordan Peterson. Um, I started watching his videos in 2017 and like a lot of things that he was saying was starting to like wake me up. And I feel like learning a lot of that stuff is what made me even find my husband in the first place. And, you know, (sighs) he helped me change my life. That's for sure. You know, I think he's done that for so many people, uh, not changing it for you. He didn't change it for me, but he helps you. He helps you at least with me see through a lot of the BS and also gave me words to help me organize my thoughts about, about what I was seeing around me and help me understand I wasn't crazy. And I wasn't the only person who was seeing all this, you know, in, in, at the time it was in social justice, but it's about so much bigger than that. It's about, it's about authoritarianism. It's about when, when humans latch on to bad ideas and bad ideology. Um, But he did that for me. I just, you know, I, I, I feel like now, like when I think about just like a lot of the things that we lost, like it's, it's not just not being allowed into a comedy club, right? It starts there. Now I see some of my stand-up comedian friends that I used to do comedy with, they're in Europe and traveling. And my favorite thing they'll do is look up what are the COVID restrictions in that country. And then I realize, oh, you wouldn't even be allowed in that country. I'm no longer allowed in the Philippines. And I could, yeah. and you know, I can't see my family in the Philippines because you must be vaccinated in order to enter that country. That is insane. Yeah. And I've, I, before I did stand up, Carrie, I, I've traveled. I've been all over the world. I've been to 21 countries, you know, and it, it breaks my heart to think that I'll never be able to go to, back to Australia. I'll never be able to go back to Fiji. 
And I loved visiting those countries and I had such a great experience there and I'll never be able to set foot in that country now. So it's bigger than just a stand-up club, you know? Yeah. And it's getting to that point where I'm just like, we can't just wait for the for YouTube and for, you know, these for these different uh, social media outlets to let us say these things, you know? Because it's like, that's what's killing my soul. And I'm just, I feel so much more relief knowing that this is just going to get taken down so I can... <laughs> You're having another coffee shop moment right now. <laughs> You're like, I'm taking it off. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to do. Um, speaking of, I was going to ask you, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to, but what happened with you and that friend, the one who was in the coffee shop with you? Um, so I love her so much. I love her dearly. We um, we had a show together called Two Peas in a Placard. Because uh, she has uh, spinal muscular atrophy, uh, and she's absolutely gorgeous. She's she's in a, a motorized wheelchair. So spinal muscular atrophy is when your muscles start to like, like deteriorate. You know, like they um, so you don't have a lot of muscle. And uh, it was just awesome because when we first met, like we really really connected on like our disability. But I loved how we had different opinions. And every Tuesday of 2020, we would meet. And just do like an interesting, fun thing, like cook together or like uh, just go on an adventure or, you know, answer 20 questions randomly. And it was awesome. But it was like as LA was getting more like restricted and all these things were happening, it was almost like she was going this way and I was going that way. It's happening you know to me. Saying? Yes, it's happening with some people. Yeah. It makes me sad because I love her so much. But I also kind of feel like, like once once her friends found out how I felt, like her close friends, they all unfollowed me off of Instagram, you know, and because they're really in that uh, that leftist ideology, like they're really in there. And I just, I still love her and care about her a lot. You know, we're still friends. We still um, follow each other on social media. We don't talk as much because we have differing opinions of like very strong differing opinions you know she believes yeah. in the vaccine i don't and i still love her it's just but it just feels like it's just different yeah you know it's just kind of like know, yeah i have a friend like that she was one of my best friends and um this was before the all the all the coup restrictions uh, we kind of had that similar thing happen. It was about woke ideology. And uh, uh, she was the one actually who, uh, a joke that she she came to Texas to do an intervention, an ideological intervention with me. Um, it, but actually she was here to, to, she was working on a project and, and the project happened to be about trans kids. That's how far apart we've gone because I don't believe in, I don't believe children can consent to, puberty blockers or to cross sex hormones or surgery got for surgery. I don't think kids, we should be, it's like experimenting on children. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but she was here to do that. And, um, we had a dinner and it was kind of this intervention kind of dinner where it's, she's talking to me very seriously about 
everyone, all of our mutual friends have been asking her about me at that time. What's happening with Carrie? Is she becoming a right wing, alt right, Nazi troll? You know, and uh, she told me, you know, you're leaving. The, you're not just leaving our tribe. You're attacking our tribe, and you can never come back. And uh, it was like, well, I don't want to come back to that tribe. But at the same time, I knew our friendship would be forever changed. And this was one of my best friends. <laughs> um, and the thing is, she hasn't, oh, maybe she did finally, I think she finally, I noticed at one point she had unfollowed me, but I still follow her and I still yeah. celebrate her accomplishments. Yeah. And I see some of the beautiful moments of her life and uh, we haven't talked in a long time. And I know it's because of the idea, these two paths, like you said, go off like this. Right. And, yeah. um, but the thing is, I love her and I know, uh, she is a good person with good intent yeah. and there are good people with good intent who can get wrapped up in evil ideology or cult-like beliefs. And I know this because I was one of them. And uh, if you just leave that door open, you don't have to stop saying what you believe or anything. Just leave that door open because you never know where that person's going to end up. And I'm sort of like, well, maybe one day, maybe one day, if I don't close that door, um, then who knows? Like she'll maybe remember that if she ever changes her mind about some things like, Hey, what, she didn't cut me out of her life, you know? Yeah. So. And, and that's how, that's how I feel about it too. It's like, I, I love my friends dearly, even the ones I like, and I love her dearly, you know? And like you said, I, I still celebrate her accomplishments and I, I want to have her have the best life ever. You know, it just like makes me sad because mm -hmm. I loved our show, but I had to leave. I had to get out of there, Carrie. It was really starting to like suffocate my soul being yeah. there and being quiet and self-censoring and, you know, acting like every place was YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every place is Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so what kind of, what kind of comedy are you doing now? Cause you said at the beginning, I'm going to jump back to comedy for a second. You said at the beginning comedy was sort of uh, not to put words in your mouth, but it sounded like it was sort of this catharsis thing too, where you could talk about all this stuff you'd been through and, and take power over some of the stuff having to do with your uh, spina bifida and, and all the, you know, the words, the insulting things you've been called. Um, has your comedy evolved at all since then? Are you still, is it still mostly about your experience um, you know, it, it, being a little person or is it, are you doing coof jokes? Are you allowed to do coof jokes in Texas? <laughs> or You know, I, I think it's more evolved into be like my experience being a married woman, you know, uh, being in a new decade of my life, uh, mm -hmm. being a homeowner. There's just, I think there's a lot of things that people can connect to in that way. I'm always, I think, going to touch on my disability and talk about those things because it's still is still um, uh, still so important to me because it's like I look on my life and I don't think like oh my disability was so horrible. I, I think about it like wow, like look at what you did, Lila. Like despite yeah. you know, like you accomplished that while also having to deal with this other thing. It's like it's amazing to me. So yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like. I don't think that God makes mistakes. I feel like I, he made me like this for a reason. You know, I feel like I was meant to be four foot six and to walk with a limp and to have this spina bifida and to be disabled. Like this is what was all in God's plan. 
because I just feel like I have such a different connection with people because of it and, and my experience with it. So I wouldn't change it either. I completely agree with you. Cause it probably gives you insights and a perspective and hey, to borrow a phrase from the social justice people, your lived experience, <laughs> it's perfectly shaped you into who you are so that you have a certain point of view and insights and strengths that you've developed as a result of everything that you've lived through. And that's true for every single person where I've, I've gotten to that place. Maybe that is a God thing. I don't know. And thank you atheists in the chat for hanging with us. Uh, as we talk about God, but I, uh, <laughs> I have some very open-minded atheists here. So, um, but, but I've started to think about that in terms of it, it doesn't, it's not a justification for, for tragedy or for shitty things or for, um, awful things that shouldn't happen to people. But even in my case, for example, I used to kind of, uh, gosh, I, I grew up with an abusive mother. Uh, I used to kind of let that be my identity to go back to what you were talking about. Um, what we were talking about earlier about if these things define who you are or not. And I didn't realize that I had made it my identity. Uh, and, and so much so I don't even talk about it much anymore. I think this is the third time I've ever mentioned it in a video, but, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think about it that way anymore at all. And the moment I had that realization that I had sort of imprisoned myself into that identity was I was in that first, when I first started trying to figure out if I thought there was a God or not, I was going to the spirituality center in Los Angeles. Do you know the, uh, uh my, the what? Is it called agape? Yes. Agape. Everybody knows agape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The first service I was like in tears, girl. He was like, <laughs> he said, he said this most beautiful thing. He said, uh, uh, God wants to see the face that he gave you before your parents were born. Like God wants to have, like God knew who you were before your parents were born. Do you know what I mean? It just touched me. It just reached out and it was like, girl, you are not defined by this thing, these things that happened to you. Nobody's defined by these things that happened to you. And if you limit yourself to that and you make that who you are and your identity, you're stuck there. Um, and it made me think of, a. I have a friend out here in Texas who, um, uh, she's an AA and she was telling me once about this guy in AA who, um, he was saying something similar. He said, it wasn't until he realized like he grew up in an abusive, with an abusive dad who used to put cigarettes out on him. And it wasn't until he realized he'd like, he's like, that was so long ago in my childhood. And yet here I am decades later, abusing myself, doing it to myself, abusing myself with with alcohol and being intoxicated all the time. And, and why? Because I think I'm still that little boy in that situation. Like why? That's not who I am. And it wasn't until I realized that he, he was like, that that's when I, I could let go of, I could let go of that crippling addiction, that crutch, you know? So I'm sorry, this is an interview about you, but you made me think no, of <laughs> it's so good, it's so good yeah. Carrie, because I even think about like, you know, my parents were told I'd never be able to walk. You know, I had it. My dad tells a story that I was supposed to have this 12 hour operation and he was really scared. I was about two years old and he went into the surgeon's office because he wanted to talk to the surgeon. And he said when he walked in, he saw a poster on the sur surgeon's wall that said, um, winning only matters in war and in surgery. And when he saw that poster, he was like, that's when he knew that this was going to be the guy and I was going to be okay. 
you know? And um, my dad, I I think about that and it's like for my parents to see their little baby that they didn't think would live to be married and a homeowner getting a standing ovation performing stand-up, like if I think about me in the eyes of like my parents and being a child, it's like I'm never going to limit myself, Carrie. And we should all never limit ourselves because anything is possible, you know? And we do get kind of, if you, we get stuck with these labels. And I'm at this point, like I said, I, yes, a disability is a part of me. There was a a time where I just rejected it completely. And then there was a time where like I totally embraced it. And now I'm at this point where it's like, I'm completely accepted it. Yes. And it's informed, it's not who you are, but it's informed your unique perspective and ability and talents and everything in this world. That's that's the point I, w- I was missing out of my ramble. That's it. It's not, I, th- I think if social justice people could, if, if they could figure this out, if somebody could figure out how to say this to them, all these things that you're being told in this belief system that like, these are all of your oppressions, right? Like, <laughs> and they even call it your identity. These are all of your identity groups, right? It's not your identity. But it's, but those things, let's say you have, you've lived through something that's uh, been a unique challenge or struggle to you. It's those things have shaped you and given you unique insights that might be strengths later in certain situations. Quit looking at it as like an oppression, you know? Um, And you don't do that. You're amazing. You have this beautiful, joyful, strong energy. I think I saw in in the chat at the very beginning Oh, this is way, way at the beginning. I don't know if I can find it, but people were like, yeah, I like her energy. Like people were saying all these, you just, that's why I knew tonight was going to be great. Cause I'm like, Lila's going to come on the screen. I know she's going to be looking beautiful and she's going to, she's going to be making me, making me have beautiful feelings. So (laughs) thank you. Um, I just, yeah. No, you go ahead. No, I don't even remember where I was going. <laughs> um, well, tell me one of the things because we talk about uh, we talk about a uh, on deprogrammed a lot. Like sometimes we talk about these heavy things. You know, we'll, we were talking about authoritarian restrictions from the government and them dividing us up into to groups about who can go into establishments and who can't and who can travel to certain countries and who can't. And those are heavy things. And we talk about the woke stuff, which I think is an evil belief system and how, how limiting that is. So sometimes I like to balance it out. You've already balanced it out a lot, but I was going to ask you what, how do you stay grounded with all this craziness going on and with everything that's happened to you? Like, how do you stay positive and grounded in, in reality? with my plants through my garden, you know, and remembering that I, I love being out there. It's so healing. And I I love the cycle of like watching the plants grow and just, it's, it's beautiful, but that's where I go to kind of, it's like spending time in nature and to, to remember that, you know what, despite all this crazy, this is, this is still Carrie, this is still the greatest time to be alive as a human being. It is the greatest time to be alive. Okay, and and they want to make it seem like it's not, but this is awesome. It is so awesome to be alive and to have this opportunity. And if you live in America, you're, I mean, we have so much access. There's so much that you can do. And we're being told that we are oppressed and and you can't do anything. And it's like, no, my mom comes from the Philippines and her dream was to come to America. She comes from nothing. She had eight, she's one of eight children, you know, and 
she had two kids before she met my dad, my and my sisters and my half sisters, but they're, they're my sisters. And to my dad, those are his daughters, you know, and my, uh, my nephew is uh, graduating from um, high school at the end June. Uh, yeah, next month. And yeah. he's about to go to ASU and he's so cool and has this like cool life and he's just popular and awesome. And I think about his grandmother came from the Philippines, you know, and struggled and came to America and built this life for herself. And now her grandson is, you know, just has an amazing life. Yeah. And I think about that and that's because she came to America, you know, and it like, it breaks my heart to like see people talk about how America's horrible and all these things. And it's like, no, this is still, this is the greatest country. Yeah. And our Lady, freedom matters. Our freedom of speech matters. It, you, uh, you would have loved my pastor's sermon this past Sunday. I remember he was talking at one point about how he's like, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm, I'll get some of it wrong, but he was saying, we live like Kings. <laughs> like, like, like it used to be, you didn't get to choose your spouse. Uh, based on love, true love, or, you know, you would have a spouse assigned to you. Uh, you didn't get to choose your career. It'd be like, if your dad was a blacksmith, you were the blacksmith. And if you'd shirk that and said, well, he, he was like, uh, he was talking about the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie about how, you know, the, the elf wanted to be a dentist instead of an elf. He's like, if you wanted to say, well, I don't want to be a blacksmith. I want to be an elf. Well, you're shirking your responsibility of the town. Now they don't have a blacksmith. It was like, you didn't have all these choices. <laughs> so many things were dictated for you. We didn't have all these conveniences. And I'm telling you, renovating this old house that we got, I'm I'm starting to, it's good because I'm appreciating all these things we take for granted. It's like we turn on the light and the light switch and light comes on. Okay. We flush the toilet and it goes somewhere. It works. Like all of this, we live like kings. And that's what I hear you saying. Yeah. We do. And it's like, I, I, what I think it is, Carrie, is like we need to, it's like it's it goes back to individual responsibility and there's not enough individual responsibility. I tweeted this the other day and it's it's taken it's really because somebody commented like, oh, somebody's been reading a Jordan Peterson. <laughs> but I was like, if your house is a mess, your room is a pigsty, we don't need to hear your take on politics. Go clean your bathroom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's people are living in chaos and then getting their their virtueness by tweeting these things that but it's like, it really starts from within and taking care of your surroundings and your home and what you can control. Those are the things that you can control. We do not have enough individual responsibility. And that's the truth. It's like too many people are looking for the government or this person to fix whatever, rather than looking within and doing what it is that you can do every day, no matter how big or small. But it's like, that's what I love about Jordan Peterson. He's like, you can walk into a room and and you can see something, there's one small thing that you can fix in there. And it does make you feel better to yeah. do that. Absolutely. I, I also like how he said, um, arrange your, your house, like your rooms for their function. That really stuck with me. And, and I'm going to do that with this old house, but uh, I did it with my, my little house in, in um, Georgetown. And it was sort of like, okay, well, in your bedroom, for example, I think he said this, I think it was him. He was talking about, you know, the purpose of the bedroom is sleeping and relaxation and you really want to set it up for that. And it's like, okay, well, in my case, I don't want a television in the bedroom. I don't want to be confusing what I'm doing in here. This is a place for me to go and sleep. I'm setting it up like that. You know, uh, 
I had a room that I called the writing room because I want to do more writing. It's like, I'm going to call it the writing room. I'm going to set it up for writing. Maybe it'll make me write more. But that, I, I love the way he, he talks about start with what you have control over. Yes. And that really struck me, like what you're saying, because I do know so many social people I know who are still in it. I think that happened with a lot of us. Some of us, when when it social justice has reached these sort of acceleration points in society, the acceleration points do one of two things. It either wakes people up like it, like it did me, or it, they get further into it. They double down. And I know some people have doubled down. And one of these girls, it's like, she's become so woke. All she does is virtue signal her whole life. She eats, lives, breathes her t-shirts. Every post is about what new social justice shirt she has, what new power fest she's doing. And um, meanwhile, I know how she lives. I've been in her house. She lives like a hoarder. Like her house was so, I, I can't even tell you the level of filth. Yes. And and that, and that makes sense to me. Cause it's like you, you, and I, I did this. I did this when I was in social justice, whatever it is you're avoiding dealing with in your personal life and all those things. It's like, Social justice gives you this unique outlet to put into activism, right? It's like, instead yeah, of fixing me no, up. I'm not, I'm not a lazy piece of shit who does not have to clean my room. I'm an activist, okay? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I'm doing activist things and these tweets and these posts. This is <laughs> the world, okay? Forget the kitchen. Forget the bathroom. It can stay like shit. doesn't matter. But these tweets. Yes. What's going out. Yes. That's, that's exactly, exactly what it is. And I'll I, tell you this, Gary. Yeah. I never... Uh, my dream was to live in LA. Okay. I thought I was, and, and I thought I was going to be there. I had been there for almost 10 years and I spent the entirety of my twenties there. It's crazy. It's like, I feel like I turned 30 and then it was like so much change. I'm in a new decade of my life, a new state of my life and I'm married. It's crazy. And my twenties in LA, it was awesome. I enjoyed it, but it was like, once all this stuff just started spiraling, like think about it. Okay. Not a lot in the comedy store. Um, what about different, what about different shows I could audition for? or commercials can't do that Lila you're not allowed to do that because in order to no. be part of the show or the whatever entertainment thing you have to be vaccinated so I feel like I'm not I'm totally I'm just not allowed to participate in Hollywood because I won't get the shot yeah. and that's what kind of makes me sad it's like you know I see some of my old friends you know walking the red carpet or doing events in in Hollywood and I always remember oh must be vaccinated in order to order to attend. So what's that? What, what kind of entertainment is that if the only people that you're going to hire are people that are willing to do this? And that's insane to me. So it's like, oh, you want people who are, who are easy to control. Cause that's what I feel about it. It feels yes. to me. I feel like it is a control thing and, and, and people have lost discernment you know, and my discernment is so high. I just, I just, I just knew that it's not what I wanted to put into my body. And it's, it's just crazy to me, Carrie, that I cannot participate in society in Los Angeles specifically. All the things that I was doing, Carrie, it's like my, that's what feels so weird about being here is, um, is that like all the connections that I had made in Los Angeles, right? Once they all found out that I didn't believe in masks and that I wasn't vaccinated and that I'm saying all the things that I'm saying, it was like, they don't talk to me anymore. You know, they, they're they not going to invite me to do things or 
it's just, it's interesting. So I'm in this point now where I feel like I'm recreating myself where I'm kind of like, it's like, if it's going to happen, it's going to be me. I'm going to be the one there's it there. It's going to, does that make sense? I feel like you can totally relate to that in it. I did all the cool stuff in Hollywood that you can think of. You know, I've been to all the fun parties. I've been to all the fun events and it's just crazy to think that now did I, you go to the Playboy Mansion? I did not go to the Playboy uh. Mansion. I did go to Michael Jackson's house. What? Yeah, okay. I, I worked an event at Michael Jackson's house, the one that he passed away in. Wow. But you've done all the things. Yeah, I've done all the things, and it's just kind of crazy to me. It's like, oh, Lila, you don't want you don't want to do this and do that, then you're out. Can't participate anymore. Can I ask you? Do you have any insight into, have you ever thought about what is it about you that made you able to, as you said, you have good discernment. What made you someone who could see through some of the authoritarian stuff that's been happening the past three years when other people haven't? Do you, and I know it's just a guess, but. I think because to me, it's, it was like. I had done so much inner work, Carrie, like uh, the, the like three years prior to the pandemic with um, getting sober and like, you know, I was completely sober for about four years and now I'll have like a glass of wine if I'm with my sisters. But for about four years, I was very strict on my sobriety. And I think that it almost gave me like the superpower in some way. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It's really it does. Like, it, it gave me this like superpower and I was feeling things. And what was funny was I was actually the one who woke up my husband and cause he was, and then as start as he started waking up, cause once he woke up, he was like, we're moving to Texas. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> no, this is what we have to do. We have to move to Texas. And it, what was interesting to me is we were watching um, Infowars, Alex Jones show, a lot at the time. And uh, when we got to Texas, and we had been here for two weeks, right? And I got invited to be on Eliza Schaefer's show at You Are Here. The next, uh, Elijah told me, I was his fourth guest on his show, You Are Here. And I was wow. sitting in the, in the chair and he was like, oh, tomorrow uh, tomorrow night, we're gonna have Alex Jones in the studio. Would you wanna come back? And I was like, wait, you're gonna have Alex Jones here? I was like, I need to tell my husband. So I drove back to the Motel 6 and I'm like, you're not gonna believe this. Um, I know we're living in a Motel 6 and our lives are like kind of crazy right now. We don't have a house, but we're gonna meet Alex Jones tomorrow. So my husband was like, there's no way, like this is crazy. So we drive- Life is weird. Yeah, we go to the Blaze, we meet Alex Jones. He is phenomenal on the show. After the show, he takes everybody to dinner at this super nice steakhouse and I sit next to him and on his phone, he just had a ton of photos of his daughter, his four-year-old daughter. And I just remember like leaving um, the restaurant with my husband and thinking like, you know what? I know we are living in a Motel 6 right now. We don't know what's going to happen, but I have a really, really good feeling. This is exactly where we need to be, you know, because God rewards bravery, Carrie. He rewards bravery. And it was like the scariest time of our lives. Like, you know, like yeah. living in the motel, not knowing if we were going to be able to get a house, like all my animals, all it was just horrible. And all my friends think I'm fucking nuts, you know? And yeah. 
I bet that I bet you if you if you tweeted at all about the dinner with Alex, they're even more like ah. Horrible, yeah. And so for me, it was like when I am just so grateful that my my husband and I like woke up together, and it was like I just I can talk to him about anything, you know. And it's just like that's what's so that's why I know like. That's why I truly believe in God because he's like, you're not alone. Like I gave you this man. I, this is a gift. Like I know that this relationship, it's not just, it's special. And yeah, I'm just really yes, grateful. I, I, love <laughs> I love this. I love the Anyway, you're making me very happy. I'm very happy for you both. <laughs> this has just become a cheesy interview at the end. I don't care. No, it's uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see your house and I can't wait till we can hang out again in person. Oh, yeah. That'll be so much fun. I'll let you know next time I'm coming uh, to your mm-hmm. area, which I think might be soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I can talk to you about that offline <laughs> after. But uh, uh, I got such a good feeling hanging out with you guys. And I think, it, you know, when you talk to someone and you're just sort of, uh, you've had a, a lot of similar awakenings or experiences recently or epiphanies or what. I had that with you immediately where some of the stuff you're talking about, I'm like, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, even I wrote down a note when you said, uh, when you got sober, it felt like you had a superpower. I used those exact words when, when I first got, uh, sober, it was like, uh, actually, no, it was before I got sober. It was one of, during one of my failed attempts. It was actually when I was still living in LA and I was in, uh, Austin. I used to come to Austin all the time though, for, for conferences and festivals and stuff. And I was here for South by, and I had a totally sober South by cause I, everybody, all these music and, and comedy industry people, entertainment industry people, they treat it like South by, or they treat it like spring break. They get really wasted all the time. But I was sober. And it, it was the first time I said it was like having a su- superpower because you'd be in a sort of a schmoozing meeting thing with maybe like a network executive and you're trying to pitch your client and they're totally wasted and you're not. And you're, you're recalling everything in the conversation. And you're like, this is great. I'm making deals. This guy's drunk. He's like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> okay. I should maybe be sober more often, <laughs> but you're right. I had that when, when, uh, my, my husband and I, we quit drinking, uh, at the same time, pretty much, um, within a few days of each other. And, you said, you said, I started feeling things. I started feeling things. My emotions were different because you kind of stuffed those things down for so long or mm-hmm. I had. Um, and then once you get past that really weird emotional part, then you're, it's sort of, uh, I could do more long-term thinking, uh, like a, not short-term, but long-term. And, and so anyway, on a tangent, but I, so much of what you're saying resonates with me because you did all that inner work. You had already gone through all that. And then the world went kind of crazy and, but you were, you had a good foundation. And that's, and that's what I, uh, that's what I'm really grateful for, Carrie. I feel like that's why I truly believe that there's a bigger picture to all of this. Me and my husband talk about all the time. Like if we had it met or had this happened at another time, it's what also breaks my heart for just people in general. I'm like, how many people who were supposed to meet didn't get to meet because of this? How many, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I just, I just feel so grateful that I was like able to get my act together, you know, at 26. I was like, when I, when I had my like epiphany of, I can't keep living like this. I can't keep drinking like this. And also it was really stand up that saved me because the best comedy comes 
from the most honest people. And the only way to be truly honest is when you're completely sober and you're honest with yourself, you know? And I also realized I was like, I'm, I'm getting sober because I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be dependent on, you know, a drink, a smoke, a pill to function. And I want to be able to go on stage and to really connect with people, look them in the eye, you yeah. know, and really like enjoy this high. And that's why I'm telling you, Carrie, when I got that standing ovation, I was, it was like the greatest high. I could not sleep for three days. And I was like, <laughs> So I was like, I couldn't sleep because I was just so excited on the adrenaline and just like, yeah. it was awesome. And I'm also grateful that God gave me that experience because, ooh, I was in for a <laughs> So much to come after. Yes. And I know so much. I, I completely agree. I think, I think you are going to be blessed many times over. And I think there's so much to come for you. And, um, I'm I'm really grateful you spent the time hanging out with me tonight and mm -hmm. coming on deprogram. I uh, oh, I think we do have one more. Oh yeah, Ken again. By the way, I did say Ken say he's going to do a painting of you. Uh, Ken Lipson says I love this interview. Nothing but good energy to Carrie and Lila. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, if you guys have questions for Lila, you can drop them in the chat. You don't have to do a super chat. I'll try and take a look at it now. Oh, um, I will. I want to answer this one that I saw. Yeah. Somebody was asking about Kill Tony. If you go on my uh, YouTube at I Love Lila Heart, I do have all the Kill Tony appearances that I did uh, at the Comedy Store. About five of them that are up there. Oh, I, my husband loves that show. He showed me oh. a few of those. I didn't see yours. I'll have to go watch them. Yeah, if you if you go on my YouTube channel, I I have them ripped and they're on there. Awesome. Well, Lila. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Uh, tell people, just remind people where they can find you online. If they want to find your comedy, if they want to see what you're doing, if they want to follow you. I, I have it in the description below, guys. Um, but just remind people. I, You guys can find me at lilaheart.com. And I will be dropping that Ford Theater 20-minute. I, I will just call it my Ford Theater special. Um, I'll be dropping that later on today. And you guys can watch that. So. Cool. Thanks. Thank you so much, lady. Have a beautiful Thank night. You. Bye.